Well, good morning as well, and Gary said, I think that was three times, happy Father's Day. We'll make it four. Hey, so glad you're here today with us. We're in week three of this series, Redeeming Love, and we're walking through the book of Ruth, and if you've never been through that, we'll take just a moment to catch you up in just a second, but um, th- there was this time um, several years ago, um, someone was telling me a story about their life, and they were running late to an appointment, and they had to stop by the store, and they were talking about this, and they said, well, I pulled up to the store, and it was so crowded, and then all of a sudden, this parking spot opened up, and as they were telling me about this, they said, and God provided a parking spot for me. And it was one of those things I kind of struggled with. Like, wait, 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 wait. God gave you a parking spot. And it's the question, well, well, does God work that way? Is, Is God concerned with you finding a spot close to the auditorium, or I don't know why, we're in an auditorium, close to a store, <laughs> excuse me, close to a store so that you can get in and out quickly so you're not late. Or does God concern himself with who wins the next World Series? Please be the Rangers. Because you have events that happen in our world where you look at and say, how in the world do we have these mass shootings? And you say, okay, God was there to provide a parking spot, but where was he in Uvalde? Where was he on 9-11? If he was there for the athlete to make sure they won the big game, Why is it that he was concerned there and not concerned with something bigger that was happening in the world? Because if you think about it, there there are three reasons that bad things happen primarily. One is our choices. We make decisions. The result of those decisions is something bad happens as a result of that. Secondly, bad things happen because of other people's choices. Right? Someone else does something that has an effect on us. And because of their choice, we have to face the repercussions of it. And then third, bad things happen because bad things just happen. Right? There was no, no one that caused a storm to roll through. There there was no one that caused a tornado. Maybe there was no one that caused a fire due to a lightning strike. So, So bad things happen in our world, and I think we're very, very aware of it. And it brings up this question that we've been dealing with in the book of Ruth. How is God involved in the day to day joys and hardships of life? Because we can all admit and agree that bad things happen. 
We go through some really difficult times. Some of them are our fault. We've caused them because we've gone maybe against what God has said. We've done some things that maybe aren't wise or aren't, aren't the smartest decisions. Other people's lives have affected us. Or maybe it's just the consequences of life happening. And no one caused it. And I think for us, that might be the most difficult one to grapple with. When no one is to blame. When, when no one causes it to happen. And so if you haven't been here, the story of Ruth is a story about primarily beginning with a lady named Naomi and her husband Elimelech. They live in Bethlehem, and there is a severe famine. Again, no one caused that to happen. And so they make this decision that they're going to move to Moab, who is one of Israel's enemies. And they move there to avoid this famine and to find food and to be able to provide for their family. And there, her sons, Malon and Kilion, marry two Moabite women. And right after that, her husband dies, Elimelech. And she's left with her sons and daughter-in-laws. And then her sons die. And so she is left as a widow in a foreign land. Her sons have passed away, and all she has is her daughter-in-laws. And she hears that God is providing for his people back in Bethlehem, that, that God has been benevolent, that God has been good. And so she makes the decision that she's going to move back to Bethlehem. And she tells her daughter-in-laws, you need to stay here and find a husband from your own people. Take care of yourself. Go back to your mother's house. And her daughter-in-laws refuse to leave her side. And she again pleads with them and begs. And Orpah, one of her daughter-in-laws, makes the decision, I'm going to stay here in Moab. But her other daughter-in-law decides to return home, refusing to leave the side of Naomi. And her name is Ruth. And Ruth sticks by Naomi's side, and they find themselves back in Bethlehem. And she goes out to work in a field, and it just so happens that the field that she's working in is a guy named Boaz. And Boaz is a, a close relative of the family. The word we looked at last week, a guardian redeemer. One that was to care for and to provide for the family in case of the death of a relative. And Boaz is good to Ruth, providing for her, protecting her, taking care of her. And so we're going to pick up there with the goodness of Boaz as we jump in to chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you. She almost begins to take on this persona of her actual mother. I need to provide for you where you will be well provided for. Verse 2, now Boaz, with whose women um, you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Verse 3, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you were there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. 
Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. Now, if you read this story just at first glance, kind of in our culture, in our context, it almost appears as that Naomi is telling Ruth to make some sexual advances. Right? And there are a lot of scholars that say that's really what's happening here. But, and part of it, I think, is reading our culture into this ancient text. Because if you were to tell someone, hey, wait till, till nighttime when they're in bed. Make sure they've eaten and drinking plenty. And I want you to get really dressed up and put on some perfume and sneak in at night and go and lay down next to them. Right? In our culture, that's, that's how a movie begins. Right? And we know what's going to happen from there. But, but there, there may be something else happening in the bigger scheme of things. So she says to go to the threshing floor. This is a picture of an ancient threshing floor right here. It, it was basically out in the middle of the field. And because these fields were off away from the city, outside the city, people would travel there. They would walk miles and miles to get to these fields and to work and, and, and pick grain. And they would pick the grain, they would bring it to this threshing floor where they would beat out the grain and then they would winnow it to get all the, the chaff out. And they would have the grain that was left over. But because this was so far outside of the city, most of the workers would sleep out in the fields. They would sleep on the threshing floor. This is a very, very public place. There are people around. And he, Naomi says, I want you to take notice of where he lays down. Right? Why? Because there's probably other people sleeping there. there. There are lots of people around. This is very public. But she tells him to go under the cover of darkness. And I want you to get dressed up and take care of yourself. Make yourself presentable. And then go. And, and so the story goes on from there and says that Ruth does exactly as Naomi says. She goes under the cover of darkness and she lays there at the feet of Boaz. And as she lays down, she uncovers his feet. And Boaz is asleep. And he's startled in the middle of the night and he wakes up realizing that someone is there, that his feet are uncovered. Um, excuse I just completely lost my place, sorry. We're having steak for lunch. I, sorry. Um, <laughs> so, so is there another possibility beside these sexual advances? Is it possible something else is happening. Let, let's go back to, to Deuteronomy. I, I saw these slides down here, and I'm like, that's not where I am, am I? but I skipped a page. Um, Deuteronomy. If brothers... I'm really off. Let me just tell you real quick. What we're going to talk about now is a guardian redeemer. Wow. Okay, reset. Boaz 
is the guardian redeemer of the family of Naomi and Ruth. Okay? And, and the idea of guardian redeemer, well, where does it come from? We looked at this last week, Deuteronomy 25. There we go. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Verse 6. The first son she bears shall carry the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town, and, and when it says elders, it's basically the old men of the town, gather around, um, summon him and talk to him. And if he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what is done. I thought about having someone act this out this morning. This is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. Verse 10, that man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. So she goes up in the middle of the night and she uncovers his feet. The guardian redeemer and their role, it was primarily about land acquisition and children. It was providing, it was owed to the wife, to the widow of the brother. It was their right to receive this. It was the way that God decided he would use to protect the widow, to take care of her, to provide for her. And again, we think this whole marriage thing Right? You go marry your brother's wife. Kind of weird. But it, but it was about heirship. It was about who's next in line. It was about who gets their inheritance, who gets their estate, who carries their debts, who gets their children. And it was so, so important that they were taken care of and they were provided for. And so there she goes to the threshing floor at night under the cover of darkness. When, when were they supposed to go and do this? If you were going to request during the day, out in public. Where, where did that event happen? It happened in the city square where you could summon everyone. And they had a choice of whether or not they would accept that role as the guardian redeemer or not. And if they would not, they would remove sandals. See, I think a couple of things are happening here. As she uncovers the feet, it's symbolic. Would his feet remain covered? Would the sandal stay on? His foot. And two, 
is she pulls back the blanket and lays at his feet. It was a question. As you cover yourself back, would you not only cover yourself, but would you also cover me? Could I come under your wings? Would you take care of me? Would you provide for me? Would you be my guardian redeemer? It was a question. Will you be the one who redeems me? Would you be the one who redeems our family? Would you be the one that takes care of us? Would you be the one that God is going to use to provide for me? And Boaz is startled as he wakes up. In verse 9, he says, Who are you? And she answers, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me. Since you are my guardian or a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Boaz sees this request as something of great honor. That she would ask him to be the guardian redeemer. And Boaz says, I would love to be the one who redeems you. I'm willing to do that. But there is someone else. Remember, we're talking about airship. There's someone else who is in line before me. And he must be given the opportunity first to redeem you. But if he refuses to redeem you, then I will. I will redeem you. And remember, the the goal of the guardian redeemer was the protection of that widow. And and so I want you to watch what happens in verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing Boaz was a man of great character. Ruth was a woman of great character. And I think one of the ways that Boaz is protecting and providing for her is by protecting her reputation, by protecting his reputation. And so again, under the cover of darkness, she wakes up and she makes her way home to Naomi. 
But before she goes, Boaz provides barley for her, grain, and sends her on her way. And he says, I will figure out what we need to do next. But he sends her away with the promise that you will be taken care of. You will be provided for. It's going to be okay. Before he even steps into that role officially as the guardian redeemer, he is doing everything within his power to provide and protect this widow, to take care of her, to give her what she needed. Because it's not enough just to have the power to protect and redeem. You also have to be willing to actually do it, to care for and to provide. There's a story from February 3rd, 1943. The U.S. Deutschester was a U.S. transport ship, and it was traveling to Greenland when it was suddenly struck by a torpedo from a German sub. And the ship's initial hit by the torpedo caused immense damage. Hundreds of lives of the 900-plus crew members on board were killed instantly. A number were injured severely. But under the cover of darkness emerged four men, four chaplains in the U.S. Army, who immediately began caring for the needs and taking care of those servicemen and crew on board. And as they frantically rushed to find life jackets, to find lifeboats, these chaplains somehow remained calm and provided what the people needed. They stood there handing out life jackets, stood there boarding ships, and to people's amazement, when the ship ran out of life preservers, they gave up their own life preservers as well. And men who survived said this was one of the most heroic acts they saw through the war. As this ship was sinking, merely 25 minutes after being hit, as it plunged into the frigid waters, these four chaplains stood there at the bow holding on to the rail, praying together and singing hymns. And one of the survivors said this was the most amazing, heroic, and beautiful act I will ever see this side of heaven. As these four chaplains laid down and surrendered their life for those on board. And of the 230 surviving crew members, they said this act changed and transformed their life 
because of the amazing sacrifice that they gave. Thousands of years later, we're telling the story of Ruth. Not just because of the faithfulness of Ruth, but because of the faithfulness of Boaz. One who not only had the power to redeem, but also had the willingness to redeem. Who was willing to give up his self in his inheritance to redeem Ruth. And we ask this question in the series, how is God involved in the day-to-day joys and hardships of life? But as we ask this question, we also have to ask this one. How does the story of Ruth and Boaz point us to Jesus? Because it's only truly in this question that we can find the answer to the first question. How does God show up in the joys and the hardships of life? As life gets difficult, as we experience hard times, whether we've caused them, whether other people have caused them, whether they've just happened, where is God in this? And in this story, God is present in the person of Jesus. In your hardships, in your difficulties, When we ask the question, God, where are you? God is present in the person of Jesus. The King of kings who stepped down into this mess to experience what we would experience. To face the life that we would face. And the challenges and the hurts, and the heartaches. That He would become one of us to be able to walk beside us. One who would be willing to cover us under the shadow of His wings. How is God involved in the day-to-day? joys and hardships of life. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, God puts on flesh and blood and comes into our world and takes on our punishment. But it was the punishment that brought us peace. That cost Him His life. Because not only did He have the power to redeem, He was also willing to do it. To offer His life is a sacrifice for us. Father, we thank You 
we're so grateful for this immense and beautiful gift. The gift of your son, Jesus. And Father, we realize that it is the punishment that brought us peace. It cost you your life. But Father, by those wounds, we are healed. We are redeemed. We are set free. And Father, it's our prayer today that your wings would cover us. They would protect us. And they would be enough for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.